everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before. But all in all, always an important topic. We have my good friend and business partner in the Whale Club, Paul Sparks here. Not only a very successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. And we do this show because a wise man once asked a question, if you look at your last three years of business by months and turn all your negative months into zeros, what would happen to your bottom line? And that wise man is Dan Nicholson himself. Paul and I are here to help you achieve financial certainty, financial certainty through real estate by rigging the game in your favor. I'm also on a mission to create 100 millionaires. And the information on, the po- on this podcast alone should be enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. If you get value out of the show, please share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And as we go through the show, you guys are going to hear us speaking a little bit of a different language. My cause of confusion. That's okay. Keep the loop open. And uh, please write your takeaways in the live chat. And after you've thought about it a little bit, put your six-word update in the comments below. Now, today, we're going to be talking about how to get more out of your real estate business. Uh, but before we do that, let's go into six-word updates. Paul, what do you got? Six-word update. Less risk, less effort, more options. Yeah, it's kind of a cheat code. I mean, that's just <laughs> that's exactly everything we're talking about on the show, but that's perfect. I love it. Uh, for me, I put, um, put black swans on both ends. You know, uh, we've been talking about the barbell this whole time, and I just... I finished Anti-Fragile uh, a few weeks ago. It was a, it's a dense book. A lot of material in there. Yeah. And you know what? I better go through this again right now before I go through another book. And it makes so much more sense the second time. And as far as the barbell strategy, you know, another way he described it was putting black swans on both ends, negative black swans on one end, and positive black swans on the other end. I was like, man, that, that's just brilliant, right? That's the asymmetric risk to the upside. And stability no matter what happens on the other side yeah well his concept he's got a whole book about black swans uh taleb and and really it's these like trailing events you know so you and i are both engineers we've seen these normal distribution curves right and it's like a bell curve and really what he's insinuating is that yeah the majority of things fall within you know uh the the middle right Right, and the majority of that range but at the tail ends we we look at these as outliers but when you look out across like history Mm i mean look at all the outliers we had covid we had the 2008 financial crash we had 9 11 you know we've had all these situations even in the last 20 years multiple black swan events and it's essentially like you can't predict these things. They're going to happen, though, at yeah. a certain frequency. Well, you know, and after listening to him put it that way, you know, there's been debates, right, over the last couple of years. Like, when's the crash going to happen? When's the other shoe going to drop? And it's like, um, you know, you hear, like, debates. Like, well, what about this? What about that? Like, this will never happen. This is definitely going to happen. And I never heard anyone say, well, why don't we hedge bets on both sides? Why don't we hedge bets that nothing bad's going to happen? but also hedge bets that if anything really bad happens, we crush it. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that, and I think it just kind of gives me a different perspective hearing him put black swans on both ends. Yeah, and the whole idea around anti-fragile is that when bad things happen, uh, that anti-fragile business or investment or system or whatever you're describing actually gets stronger from that. Yeah, so 
the way I kind of picture it now is like when good things happen, we win. When bad things happen, we win. Yes. And that's it. That's like the essence of what we're what we're doing here. This is what we talk about every single week on this show. This yeah. is what we help real estate investors, entrepreneurs, you know, business owners do inside of their business is design a system so that they can oh rig the game. That's the whole point. Right. I love it. So all right. So I want to talk about, you know, some of the challenges, right? Like right now, not right now, I would say the last six months, a lot of people that are listening here might have experienced a little bit of challenge, right? A little uncertainty, a little bit like how I, I can't get any deals going or my deal flow is dramatically reduced. And with the deal flow dramatically reduced, there's like this anxiety, like, where's my next deal going to come from? I need to do deals or I'm going to be in trouble. Mm -hmm. That's a fragile business. That's a fragile business. So talk to me about that. How, how, do we, how do we handle that? Well, I think, yeah, just generally the idea is, wouldn't it be cool if we could build a business that we didn't have to do deals? Mm -hmm. You know, if there was a market situation like what happened in the last six months, your business actually got stronger because of that. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Uh, that's the foundations of what we mean when we talk about rigging the game. And that's what I think we should expand on today. Yeah. So how would we, I mean, we were talking about, you know, the title of the show, how to get more out of your real estate business. So how do we get more out of our real estate business? Yeah. Uh, I would have titled it how to have more optionality mm -hmm. in your real estate business, but I guess that doesn't make for as good of a title. So it's not um, clickbaity. We got to make it clickbaity. Exactly. So let's establish something that Dan talks about all the time in rigging the game and inside the certainty operating system. And it's really the, the foundation that we build off of is we want to have, <clears throat> let's just make an assumption that we're all doing business. We're doing our investments for some reason. Now we talk about the first wealth commandment being closer versus more. So not everybody, uh, not everybody applies that in their business. A lot of people are still chasing more and mm -hmm. more and more. So this is the solvable problem, right? You got to have a solvable problem. You got to know what you're, what you're trying to get closer to. Otherwise you're just chasing more. So assuming that you do have that solvable problem in your business. And by the way, if you want help with creating that solvable problem, go back and listen to a couple of the episodes we've done in the past. I don't remember the, the numbers, but you know, we talk about this extensively, mm -hmm. but now once we understand what certainty means to us, and we've got clarity on that, Dan talks about an orientation that we want to have. So let's talk about that orientation first. And he says, this was my six word update. We want to make decisions and bets in our business because business is gambling, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, we're as business owners, we're essentially 100% commission employees for our own businesses, right? Yeah. So we want to take bets that bias the least amount of risk, the least amount of effort, and the most amount of optionality, right? So as we're making decisions, we want to bias those three things. And let's talk about that. When we say least amount of risk, what does that mean? And what does that mean to you, Steve? Uh, least, least amount of risk basically is how do we reduce, how do we reduce the downside? Right? How do we reduce uh, the pain of there's, if we over budgeted, right? Or under budgeted, right? On a flip, if we underestimated how long it's going to take, 
if we, I mean, you even talk about like, you know, basically handing the keys to your business to other people within your organization that may not have quite earned the, the privilege or the, uh, the rights to do that. Um, but risk is anything that could either cause a momentary or temporary loss or to its extreme <clears throat> catastrophic game over type situation. Yeah, it's that full spectrum. I have heard, you know, Dan and Nick say this many times. So I'm just borrowing their language, but the biggest risk that we all face inside of our life, our businesses, and mm -hmm. our investments is that we don't get the things that we want out of life. Right. So when we describe risk on this show, and actually I've, you know, I've I've noticed this over the last couple of weeks, just having conversations with people. I don't think that they know what we mean when we say risk. Risk means you're getting further away from the things that you want, mm -hmm. right? And, and you're reducing the likelihood that you get there. So when we talk about risk, it's like saying, well, the biggest risk that we face is that you don't get what you want out of your life. Right. That's the biggest That's risk. Yeah. Yeah. So then when you go out and apply that to business, you start making decisions, the risk that a flip goes wrong, the risk that a uh, you made a, a bad hire or you lose money or something like this is that you're now getting further away from what you actually want in life. So when we describe risk, that's how I think of it. Um, and so obviously we want to bias situations that are the least likely to get us further away from what we're trying to, to achieve our solvable problem. The second component there is the least amount of effort. And I've also had people come to me and like, you sound like you're just lazy. Like you just don't want to do any work, but like, what's your interpretation of least amount of effort? Uh, I mean, for me, there's a couple of different plays, right? I mean, there's that part where like, you know, we're all uh, sitting around a campfire, uh, smoking a joint, right? Playing <laughs> a guitar, right? That's definitely not <laughs> what I have in mind when I say least amount of effort. For me, there are elements of like, I love what I get to do every single day. So there's no effort. When I come to the office, even I'm here more than 40 hours, it feels like I'm working maybe a few hours a week, right? So there's elements of like, am I doing what I love? So it's not a lot of effort. Also, am I working within my strength zone, right? Yes. If I have to run the books every single day, if I had to have a high quality, high level accountability meetings all day, every day, or if I had to go door knocking all day, every day, it's going to feel like work. So for me, there's, there's yeah. a couple different components, but I say the biggest thing for me personally is it feels effortless. I don't feel like I'm doing any kind of heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, I agree with all that. Finding, uh, finding ways to design your business so that you're doing things that you actually enjoy and it doesn't feel like you know a ton of effort is certainly a great way to look at it. Uh, if we're speaking sort of technically here, I would resources are scarce, right? We're running small businesses. We're not running F Fortune 500, you know, where we can just throw. $10,000 at something or $100,000 or $10 million at something. If it doesn't work out, eh, we'll just try something else. Fair it up. Start we, over. <laughs> we don't have that luxury. We, do not have we that only luxury. have 24 hours in a day. Yeah. We, you know, a lot of us have families, we have kids, we have other obligations and certain things like that. And so you have to first acknowledge that resources are scarce. Mm -hmm. And then if that's true, 
then we don't want to spend any more resources than are necessary, right? So it's not like saying no effort. It's saying that we want to bias decisions that preserve the resources, the scarce energy that we have mm -hmm. so that we don't waste it on things that are unnecessary. Um, and another way I, I sort of maybe could describe this is would it make sense, Steve, for you to do a task that you could outsource for $10 an hour? No, unless I absolutely love it and I find it fulfilling. <laughs> no, I don't know of any $10 an hour activities that fall in that, in that category. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's obvious when you put it in that situation, right? But, you know, we want to bias things that preserve our energy, mm -hmm. not do it just because we can do it. Because we'll talk about as we kind of go through the show, there's a lot of risk associated with that. You're now <clears throat> no longer to see uh, able to see optionality. Let's talk about the next one here. Most well, before you do of that, options. before you do that, I remember when Dan Nicholson spoke at our event at the in, back in September, right? Our Well Club Certainty event. I remember he said something along the lines of like, "Look, I'm talking to a bunch of entrepreneurs. I don't need to tell you guys to work hard. You guys are already biased towards working hard. And then, so I'm not saying stop working and no effort. What I'm saying is, how can you put less effort to achieve the same outcome? So yes. anyway, I just remember that." Less effort to achieve the same outcome. That's exactly right. We want to bias things that apply the least amount of effort um, with the most amount of options. Yeah. And so this is straight out of anti-fragile. You know, the ability to create a system, you're designing a business, you're designing, when we say system, I'm just such a, an engineer, like that's just a phrase that I think of when I talk about systems, but your business is a system. Mm -hmm. You know, it's made up of inputs and processes, and then you get outputs, and that's a that's a system, right? So you put leads in, you negotiate these leads, and then ideally you get contracts and revenue. And so we just described that as a system. But yep. you want to design it so that, first of all, we have more than one outcome that's acceptable. Well, more than one outcome that's probable, but also acceptable. Yeah. So the idea being... What we really need to get good at is not necessarily like designing something that if we, we have to get this outcome. If we don't get this outcome, the business is screwed. All is lost. If we don't do a deal, the business is screwed. What we want to do is create a situation where we're, we have so many options, and now our decision is what the, what the best option is. How do I pick the best option? Uh, because, of course, that's what we mean when we say optionality, creating optionality. We want to have a lot of options and the, uh, and the discernment and the ability to pick the best path forward. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So then how does that apply to real estate? Well, um, Sonia, if you're listening to this, she's my executive assistant. When I hired her back last summer, one of the first things I said to her is, you are here to help me make this business extremely boring <clears throat> what i mean by that is i want to bias the least amount of risk the least amount of effort and the most amount of options i want it to be so boring that it just runs like i'm bored of this business yeah. but it's a cash printing machine right and well, I mean, when bad things happen 
And we Tim, don't lose. Tim Bratz, when he was on the show on Real Estate Disruptors, I mean, he basically said, like, you know, you know you have a good business when it's boring. Yeah. Yeah, so when I think about designing a business that has a lot of optionality, well, in order to have a lot of optionality, you have to have – you have to and, – and take advantage of that. You need to have energy and low risk. So the, you know, if you've got a business that's extremely volatile, well, some, some months you're, you know, you're doing really well. Some months you're doing bad. We just had a whale call this last week. There was a few guys who were sort of sharing situations where they, they feel like some months, well, I guess they were saying it's like their emotional state is dependent on how well their business is doing. I remember that. Yes. Right. If their business is doing really well, they feel great. If their business is not doing well, they feel not great. Mm -hmm. Well, that is expending a lot of effort thinking about that, like worrying, is this going to go well? Am I not going to go well? You're taking on a lot of risk. The risk is like that you can't do anything else because if your business is that unpredictable, well, does can you really start anything else? Can you be at your kid's baseball game at 4 p.m.? Well, I don't know because I don't know how long I'm going to have to stay at work. I don't know how much effort I'm going to have to put in today. So there's all this risk that you take on and there's all this unnecessary effort that you're having to expend on your business. And so first step that I like to describe it is just like, how do we create an ultra boring business? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, for everyone here that's listening, like how, how do you create an ultra boring business? And this is gonna be an interesting topic because for me, I don't like getting bored. Like I struggle, right? I get antsy when there's nothing wrong. It's kind of like um, maybe because you don't have any kids yet, but maybe you're a mom, right? Why is the house so quiet? What mm -hmm. is Paul up to? Sure. Right? If the house is quiet, right? I don't hear the iPad going. I don't hear YouTube going and they're not fighting. I'm wondering what's happening. Barbell stuff though, Steve, right? Like on one side of the barbell, we want very reliable, boring businesses, mm -hmm. low effort, low risk. And because of that, we now have a ton of options, mm -hmm. right? We have consistency. We have predictability. We don't put much time into the business. It allows us to go focus on the other side of the barbell, which is really where you and I like to live. Yeah. It's like, ooh, look at all these shiny objects. I get to play. I get to play business like a sport. When I talk about playing business like I play uh, pickup basketball, that's what I mean. It's like I don't want to play on the organized team. I don't want to do all that sort of stuff. I want to play on the, the side where I can show up when I want. Sometimes I play hard. Sometimes I don't quite play as hard, but I always want to win. And that's my point is um, – if you, if you can build the side of the barbell that's reliable, that's very boring, you now have a ton of options, mm -hmm. go, go play on the other side of the barbell. Spend your energy there if that's where you so choose. Yeah, and so I think that's the key here, right? Because in some ways we're saying you want to build a boring business. That might be a turnout for some people. But what you're talking about here is you want to build a boring business so that you can explore all the other options. Yeah, and 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 – that's what creates an anti-fragile situation is like these upside plays, these asymmetrical up, upside plays on this side of the barbell. Uh, maybe we need to back up and explain barbell again, but hopefully if you've listened to this, you know what we mean when we say barbell. It's like, well, 
these upside plays don't have to go right. Mm-hmm. It's just upside. Yeah. So what I want to do real quick is, uh, you know, when, when we were talking about optionality, here's what I processed, right? So like for us, when we're actively in the field, there's five exit strategies or five opportunities, right, with every single one of the properties that we go meet, right, when we, when we meet with a motivated homeowner. First and foremost, we want to do a cash offer, right? And it's a cash offer, meaning that I, will, I Steve Trang, or his LLC will buy this specific property. That's option number one, right? If we can get that, that's a great day. It doesn't matter if that's the only one of the day. If that's the only one for the week, it's a great day, great week. Option number two is like, okay, Steve's not going to buy this himself, but we probably have a buyer for this. That's a wholesale option, right? Option number three is, okay, well, that price, what you need, that's not going to work for us on wholesale, but tell you what, let's go ahead and novate this. We're going to lock it up, put on the MLS, right? Option number four, if that price doesn't work, well, then, hey, you know, are you comfortable spreading this out over time, right? And that's creative. And if that doesn't work, hey, look, Paul, you know, seems like a nice guy. Seems like it's really important. You get the most amount of money. You want fair market value. I've got a great realtor to help you when the time is right. Blah, 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 right? That's obviously not our sales pitch, but those are five different options. So for mm-hmm. me, when you said optionality, that's kind of what I took when we were discussing the title of the show. Now, before you add your input into that, guys, we got a cheat sheet. Uh, that we were able to just basically steal from Dan Nicholson. So if you guys want to check it out, it's rigging the game cheat sheet, and it has a lot of the roadmap. I mean, for me, I'm excited because I'm just going to print it as a poster for my office so that next time I have a difficult decision, I could just look at the poster. Uh, If you guys want to check out the cheat sheet, go to realestatecertainty.com. From there, you can check out our community where you can just download it right away. Or if you guys want to wait a couple of days or maybe a week, whaleclubfreestuff.com. But if you want it right right now, real estate certainty, go into our community and you can get it for free. So anything you want to add to that, Paul? Uh, the cheat sheet's awesome. It's it is incredible. Awesome. Yeah. So if you've read Rigging the Game, you know that there's like the, the wealth commandments, the issue processors, the growth principles, the frames. Like it's a ton of information. This puts it all into a PDF that shows you exactly how to uh, apply these things, yeah. right? It doesn't tell you exactly how to apply it, but it sort of tells you what these tools and these frames are. And this is what we help people do and, and implement inside of, uh, you know, their real estate businesses. That's sort of the whole point of the whale club. I guess now back, I guess another way to put it is that everything we talked about here, if you haven't picked up the book yet, definitely pick up the book, pick up the book, bringing amazon.com. Uh, after you go through that, you listen to all our content here. Most of those boxes just make kind of sense. So next time you have a decision you got to make, you just look at that. It's like, okay, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do that, right? It's a pretty quick checklist. So go ahead, Paul. Yeah. We, were, we were debating, like, what do we call this? A guide, a roadmap, a checklist, a cheat sheet. So we yeah. went with cheat sheet because rigging the game and cheat sheet, like, I don't it's know, it just seemed to go well together. But, yeah, if you're not inside our community, you're going to have to wait. It's going to come out in probably three to four days, maybe next week. I don't really know. We're trying to get the website set up. but. If you're inside of our community on Discord, you can get access to that on realestatecertainty.com. I just posted it into the uh, the chat there, so it's available if you want to go see it and download it early. Um, okay, enough about that. Back to the uh, multiple exit strategies. And Steve, you're reading off my notes here. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, no, it's perfect because that's exactly how I think about optionality. 
that's that's certainly one way to mm-hmm. think about optionality. We're going to talk about all sorts of different ways. Um, but yeah, if you're sitting, we, we said that you, the whole goal here is to design a system where more than one outcome is probable and acceptable. So when you go, you get that lead that calls in. Let's talk about the, you know, the, the, the poor new investor that learned one strategy. You know, this was me for a long time. And I like to call it the hammer, right? You're walking around with this hammer. And, you know, the hammer is the wholesale. Like, just hammer it down as far as you can and get mm-hmm. it for as cheap as possible. Well, think about if you walk onto a, a construction site with a hammer. And you're just like trying to hammer at screws and hammer at staples and hammer at this board to cut it in half. And like, you know, having one tool pretty much pretty limit. uh, It's pretty limiting, right? There's not a ton of optionality you have with that. You need one particular strategy and that's what you're good at. But imagine you've got an entire tool belt. And in this case, the tool belt is wholesale. It's retail. It's novation. It's, uh, uh, I don't know, creative finance, all the different things that you just mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Well, you've just now created a bunch of optionality. The likelihood that you sit down with that seller, that there's more than one outcome that's probable is very high, right? Yep. And if you don't have optionality, like the majority of those are unacceptable. You need to be able to buy it at cash at a discount if they don't, if if the deal doesn't fit with that particular type of strategy. Well, you're kind of screwed, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you have no other options. If you if you don't have if you don't bring additional options, then you're stuck with one option. And if it doesn't work, you're SOL. So I bring this up because for me, when you were explaining it, if your business is boring, then you can explore the other options, right? And so, you know, there was a time in my career years ago, you know, where I was a top producing realtor in the Phoenix market, right? In my best, best years, I was number 38 out of 40,000 realtors, right? Yeah. And at this time, I had all these brokerages recruiting me. I had these title companies trying to get my business and all these mortgage companies trying to get my business. But what I was able to work out was I I was able to do a partnership with a title company. So now we're splitting the revenue right? 49.51. And then I was able to partner with a mortgage company, right? Where I was able to get compensated legally, right? We're not violating RESPA. We're able to do everything above board. I was able to get compensated, right? By a mortgage company. And so I'm already doing the work. It doesn't require any more effort on my end. But I got to make more revenue. And the way I always kind of pictured this was like, you know, when you go to McDonald's, God forbid, right? But if you go to McDonald's, they make a nickel on the Big Mac, but they make the full boat on the fries and the Coke, right? Mm. Or if you go to Best Buy, they make nothing on the appliances, but they make 100% on those warranties. Mm. So that's, the, that's what I was able to do because I had a reliable realtor business. Yeah, that's great. I like that example. Um, a lot of optionality. In that case. And so today I want to talk about four ways you can add optionality to your business. All right. So you just described one, which I'm just going to call like the acquisition tool belt. 
-hmm. So multiple acquisition strategies. If you don't have multiple acquisition strategies, uh, you probably don't have a ton of optionality and your business might be very fragile. Yep. Okay. That's, that was actually my second one. So let's go back to the first one. First one is uh, what we call a business treasury. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when I met Dan and Nick, they were talking about this idea of a business treasury. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty cool term. Never heard that before. What does that mean? And Dan starts explaining. He was like, well, in the, in the early 2000s, Dan worked with Microsoft specifically to develop their business treasury. And what this means is that when you look at Microsoft and you look at really any business, there's all sorts of retained earnings, right? We, we have cash sitting in the bank. As a good business owner, you probably have six months or more of cash sitting in the bank. And if you look at Microsoft, for example, they manage $200 billion of, quote, cash, right? But they don't take that money and just stick it in Chase Bank. They're using that uh, to, well, really what they're doing is they, they operate, they, there's an operating side of their business, but the other side of their business is essentially they're acting like a bank. So you might have heard this phrase, like, be your own bank. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, is taking the money that you've got sitting in your bank account as a business owner that you need in order to remain liquid and, and um, protect your business. But what if we could take that money and use it to produce a return so that it offset the cost of your business, the operating expenses you spend in your business? So the idea is like, well... Let's say you've got a $10,000 a month overhead inside of your business. Well, what if I told you you could create a business treasury that spit off 10% per year or some you know, level of return so that you're covering the operating expenses inside of your business? That's the concept of a business treasury. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like... There are different ways. You know, you could take that cash and you can invest it. You don't even have to take it out of your bank account. You could collateralize the cash in your bank account and get a business loan and invest that and keep the cash in your bank. There are all sorts of different ways you can leverage the cash in your bank, except or I guess the worst way to leverage the cash in your bank is to actually leave it in the bank, right? But there are all the different things you can do with that existing cash so that it spits off returns, cover your monthly overhead. Yeah. If not your full monthly overhead, at least some of it so that you don't, you're not desperate in chasing this. Yeah. And, and 100% getting your operating expenses covered 100% would be the ultimate level of optionality. Yeah. What that means is that your business operates at net zero. So if you do zero deals, you, you're still at zero. You don't do, you don't lose any money because your business didn't do deals. I mean, Talk about optionality at that point, right? Talk about least amount of effort, least amount of risk. Mm -hmm. Like what is the risk in that situation when you don't do deals? Zero. Yeah. So no if pressure. you want to learn a little bit more about business treasury, this is probably an entire show that we could do. Uh, but, but I've done multiple master classes on the business treasury and, you know, that's what Dan has helped hundreds 
of small businesses do. He took this concept that really only large Fortune 500 companies, they do this. But it's not really done on the small business level because there's a certain amount of education that's needed in order to do that. Yeah. And it's it's not as simple as like I'm making it sound simple, but it's not as simple as that. Right. If you want to learn how that's done, well, that's kind of what we we do inside of the whale club. That's what we're learning from Dan. That's what we learned in the CCA. I'm going through the BYOB, Be Your Own Bank program right now with multiple other uh, business owners. I'm learning how to do this and apply it specifically into real estate because to me, that's the first and, and ultimate level of optionality. If you can get a business treasury to offset all of the operating costs in your business, you've got a boring business with very low risk and very low effort. Yep. So that's number one. Number two, we already talked about multiple exit strategies. What's yep. number three? So I'm, I'm calling, well, number two, I'm calling multiple acquisition strategies. Sorry. Okay. Right. Number three, I'm going to call multiple dispo strategies or exit strategies. Right. So when you lock a deal up, can you take it down? Can you turn it into an Airbnb? Can you turn it into a rental? Like, I mean, there's all sorts of different exit strategies, mm -hmm. but if your only exit strategy is to wholesale it, then I would also say that you're limited, right? Can you, can you get language in your contract that allows you to put it on market? Can you leave optionality so that you could structure a creative finance deal? You know, I mean, talk to me a little bit about some of these dispo strategies and, and ways that people maybe often limit themselves in terms of options there and then ways they could add options to that process. Well, if you're newer, typically you're JVing into like one guy or maybe two guys. That's yeah. it. You have two options. Yeah. Typically. Right. First guy's your mentor who taught you the business. Second person is another person you found. Eventually, what you're going to do is you're going to buy a list, right? Whether it's Investor Lift, it's uh, Buyer Sonar, it's um, PropStream, Batch Leads. Like there's multiple places you can get information on cash buyers. So that's the first thing, right? You want to be able to find more cash buyers. But before, not before, but on top of that, you can also just post it on MLS so long as you got approval from the homeowner. And if you could post on MLS, the best buyers are working with realtors, right? Yeah. People willing to pay the most are working with realtors. So mm -hmm. uh, that's another way uh, to do it. Then there's, so that's wholesale. Right, but there's also cash, right? And that doesn't have to be your cash. You can buy it with private money. You can buy it with hard money, whatever. But there's actually closing on it. And to your point, right? Like um, you can turn it into a rental. You could turn it into um, assisted living. You could turn it into an Airbnb. There's no shortage of things you can do with that specific property. Yes. So a couple of things that I want to touch on there is that first is it's important to communicate why optionality is important to the seller. <clears throat> so I think a lot of new investors have this limiting belief that the seller's never going to go for this. Why would they want me to put it on market? Why could they could just do it themselves? And they need to go take our class. Like they need to listen to this podcast because optionality 
is what we want. We want to create as many options as possible so that we can pick the best one, right? And we just need the discernment to know which one is the best one. But, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, if I'm the acquisitions person, my job here is to get you as many options as possible, is to create as many options here as possible. And, you know, again, this is a negotiation strategy. It may not always go like that, but that's how I train my team to think is how do you create as many options as possible here and explain to the seller why it's in their best interest to have that. Yep. The second thing I want to make a point in is optionality is not an all or nothing thing. What I mean by that is we had a conversation last week about the 70, well, I don't know if it was last week, but a few weeks back about the, the idea of 70, 30 in business partnerships. Mm -hmm. So, well, think about the 30% side there. Why would, why would I take 30% in a deal? Because there's really low effort and really low risk, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, when you have an exit that you're trying to do, it may not mean that you're going to make 100% on the deal. Right. It may not even mean you make 50% on the deal. But, like, can you refer this to an agent and let them list it and just, hey, pretty low effort, pretty low risk for you, mm -hmm. right? And they, you get a little kickback from it. Right. It could mean partnering. You know, I, I had an Airbnb that somebody was, had sent to me. It was a three-unit in Sedona. I don't know anything about Sedona. So what did I do? I hit you up. That yeah. deal fell apart, and I don't have it anymore. Okay. But, like, had it gone through, I would have been like, hey, Steve, let your team take this mm -hmm. because it's going to take a lot of effort and energy for me to find buyers in that area. So I will give up a significant chunk of that deal because I would rather have low effort and low risk in the deal. Right. Right. So it's this idea that you've got to have, think about affiliates. You know, I saw someone post in the collective genius chat the other day and they were saying, you know, I'm, I've got all these people who are coming to me asking me uh, for support in terms of, hey, teach me how to do real estate. <clears throat> Would you mentor me? Would you do this? Would you do that? And they were like, you know, I don't have time for any of this. What should I do? And of course, my answer was like, find somebody to, I didn't say this, but somebody else eventually did. I think it was Leon that chimed in and he was like, well, just find someone that you can get an affiliate link with someone that you know in your market that's an excellent coach and refer them business and take a small fee for it optionality yeah right yeah. that's what we mean here is have multiple options even if it means you don't take the whole pie you want to be able to monetize every deal because all of these options are acceptable some are better than others but we want to be able to make sure we make use of all of the possible options out there And what's number four? <clears throat> Been talking too much this week. My voice is getting a little scratchy on me. All right, fourth one. So let's recap. First, we've got a business treasury, the ultimate, ultimate way for optionality. Yeah. You got that. It doesn't really matter if you do any deals. So if you don't have a business treasury and you want to learn more about that, we've got a ton of resources at realestatecertainty.com. Uh, a lot of it inside of our, our community, you can go in there, you can learn more about this. And this is what we help the whales do is implement this strategy into their businesses. 
The second is the multiple acquisition strategies. Got to have a tool belt as a salesperson. Don't walk around with a hammer and try to hammer everything down, right? It's not going to go well when you hit that screw. It's just going to like, you know, slam it into the side of the board. And we don't want that. Right. We want options. The third is multiple exit strategies. Um, and sometimes that means making less on a deal in order to monetize it. But again, these are all acceptable options. And the fourth is geared towards marketing. And I'm just going to call this a personal branding strategy. What I love so much, and I am a absolute believer. This time last year, Steve, you would have had to twist my arm. I remember doing it. Yeah, uh, on, on something like this or to post something on social media. But I don't know of a better uh action you can take on a regular basis that creates more optionality for your business than just sharing what you're doing on social media personal branding letting people know what you do the amount of people that have popped out of the woodwork mm -hmm. and like hey i've got this opportunity like i'm getting deals brought to me in all parts of the country now i don't do any marketing there in fact we don't do any paid marketing anymore talk about least amount of risk right. like what's the risk shelling out tens of thousands of dollars a month on all these marketing channels well the risk is that you don't do deals and you lose a bunch of money mm -hmm. with a personal branding strategy the risk is your time and potentially your reputation if you are someone less than credible let's just say mm -hmm. but if you can get up and share what you're doing and, and tell people how they can help you, you'd be shocked how many people will bring opportunities to you and, and collaborate with you because they resonate with your message. So that's, that's the last one is personal branding. Yeah. Well, that was going to say, you didn't bring that up. I was like, well, you know, a lot of this also applies for social media, right? Cause there's all sorts of things that happen when you're on social media. There's, you were saying earlier opportunities on top of that private capital. So I had this epiphany on Wednesday and I don't know why it took me so freaking long, you know, but Hey, why don't I just put at the end of real estate disruptors invest with Steve, right? Some sort of call to action because if you make it all the way to the last minute of real estate disruptors, you probably believe in what I'm doing. Right? So why would I not have a call to action at the very end? It's like, Hey, you know, if you're interested in getting real estate and you have a bunch of money, but you don't have the time, Invest with Steve, right? But yep. so you can have more capital, you can have more opportunities sent your way, um, and it opens doors, right? That's that's. I mean, it's crazy. The relationships that, that you build through it is incredible, and yeah. yeah, you just said it. Like leads, private capital, relationships, future business partners, friends of yours who are like, I had no idea you were in in real estate. Yeah. And it's like, well, I've told you that like 20 times. How did you not know this? And they're like, well, I don't know. I guess I just didn't know. Well, there's, you know, my, my, my team was on my case the last couple of weeks. Don't tell me, show me. Right. Yeah. When you're showing them the deals you're doing, the land you're buying, the 18 townhouses. Oh, Paul's in real estate. Hey guys, I'm getting in real estate. Yeah, whatever. We've heard that. And maybe it's not even you, right? It's like, they've heard that from so many other people. But the other thing I also learned earlier in my career is that you're pigeonholed by everyone else that knows you as that bratty kid, right? Like when I said, Hey, I'm a realtor now. They're like, well, you mean that kid that went to school for engineering? You're, you're a realtor. 
why would I work with you when I can work with someone that's been doing real estate for 10, 15 years, right? So they remember you. Those that know you well remember you for all the stupid things you did. And now it's like, hey, by the way, I'm in real estate. You can give me money. That's, it doesn't necessarily <laughs> work in that fashion. But when you're on social media, you're demonstrating, you're showing proof, social proof, no pun intended, that you're actually doing this. It rekindles or reopens those doors. And on top of that, I was talking to someone. They were going through a personal situation. Like it's very private. It had nothing to do with real estate, but they posted on it, right? And they said they had friends reaching out from all over the country from decades ago to help them through. So you, you, you have no idea who's watching you at all times on, on social media. And I, I'll just make this one last point. So we had this opportunity, an amazing opportunity uh, to meet Jeff Hoffman, the guy that founded Priceline. The guy is a billionaire, right? And we got a chance to meet him at Collective Genius. And he walked up to me and shook my hand. I was like, you know who I am? He's like, yeah, I love your content. I was like, this is insane to me, right? The guy is a freaking billionaire, and he's watching my stuff. So you never know who's out there when you're creating content. And that's it. That's why it's such an upside play. Yeah. Because it's, it's so hard to predict what's going to come of that. You know, I, I, the, the longer I do this, the more I realize you just, day after day, you have no clue what, who's watching and what's going to find you next. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that's how we're in business, Steve, right? The only reason we're in business is because you have a platform and you share what you do. That's how I knew who you were. Mm -hmm. That's how I approached you. And I was like, Hey, I got this thing. I need you to show you what it is. I remember when I hit you up on Facebook and I was like, you don't know me yet, right. but I need 15 minutes of your time so I can share with you like something that I think you'll find a lot of value in. And you were like, mm, okay, I'll give you 15 minutes. And it wasn't fully true that I didn't know you yet. I knew you a couple weeks before because you had beaten me at Collective Genius for the belt. So I did know who you were because I didn't win the belt. You did in the room. So Presenting on Business Treasury. Presenting on Business Treasury. There you go. Yeah. So, so we, I mean, I unloaded like a lot today in mm -hmm. this call. Um, and when we talk about keep the loop open, Steve says this all the time. What we mean by that is this all may not come together perfectly clear in this one call. Keep showing up. Keep listening to this. Follow us into the rabbit hole if you want to learn more, right? The rabbit hole, if you want, I mean, we'll recap all this, is, is go to realestatecertainty.com. Um, there's a link where you can join our free community where we put all these resources, right? And again, this is stuff that Steve and I learned from like the authority on the subject of how to rig the game, create optionality, build business treasuries, all these things. Steve and I didn't come up with this. Wish we did, like, but no, we just screwed up. It's it. We, we screwed up and we had to go fix our businesses because we were building, we, I had a fragile business. I had a very fragile business. Actually, I'm still like fixing a lot of those problems to get back to a more anti-fragile system. But I didn't know about any of this. Most new business owners don't know anything about this type of stuff. Um, they don't teach you this in school. They just don't. Uh, so well, they don't teach this again, to you in school. They don't teach this to you. They don't teach this to you in most books. They don't teach this to you in um, uh, most coaching programs. Or, or mentorships, 
I don't really see this a lot of material in uh, in most other places. No, I don't. And that's why, you know, I think what we're doing is is extremely powerful. We've helped a lot of business owners and I'm sure we're going to help a lot more. So let's recap. Mm-hmm. The whole idea here is how do we create optionality in our business? And we want to have an orientation towards the least amount of risk, least amount of effort and most amount of options. So every decision that we make, we first filter it through that orientation. We have to acknowledge that resources are scarce. We want to build businesses that are boring. Make them boring because now we have tons of optionality. It means if you want to go play on the other side of the barbell and start a new business with a boring business, you can do that. If your thing is traveling the world, if your thing is playing business like a sport, if your business is networking and learning and like getting smarter and all these things, you need energy to do that. You also need very boring businesses or investments that can support that effort. So it's a, it's a good thing to have boring businesses because it frees your time up to go do other things, right? We talked about last week, don't obsess over the form. Right. And that's the idea here is if you obsess over the form, you're not able to see the options, your, your tunnel vision on that one particular avenue that it needs to be. If you can invert that and focus on, well, what does the what does it need to do? Then you're creating options and you can pick the best one. Yeah. So right? this, and then we talked about. Go, go ahead. ahead go, Steve, no, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that there's four strategies that we talked about today to increase optionality in your business. Now, there's probably a lot more, but, you know, if you're building a real estate investing business, these are the four that I would start with. First is build a business treasury. You want to learn how to do that? Go to our community. We've got all these different resources on that. Master classes that I've made. Steve and I are continuing to make more. Uh, we're spending a lot more time, I will admit, with the whales on this right now. This is going to trickle down into the free side of our community. So join our community for free and keep an eye out for this business treasury stuff because it's probably the most powerful concept that has enabled my business to have ultimate optionality. Second thing is, if you only have one acquisition strategy, it's time for you to go get a few more. I mean, I just, you have to have multiple acquisition strategies when you're sitting in front of that seller because resources are scarce. If you're paying to be in that room, and that's how you have to think of it. How much money did it cost me to be sitting in this room right now? And if you only have one, even two options, I've, I, I've, I've, I'm so sorry, but you have a fragile business. You need to go talk to Eric Brewer and Steve Trang about Novations. You need to go learn creative, uh, creative financing. There's tons of people who teach that. You need to have realtors and outlets for monetizing that. Ideally, they're either on your team, right? The third thing is exit strategies. So acquisitions are different than exit strategies or dispo. Airbnbs, rentals, uh, referrals, kick stuff out to other people. Don't get so tunnel vision on the fact is how do I make 100% of this deal? You want to have outlets that require less effort and less risk for you. Give it to somebody else and let them do it. Right? And then the fourth thing is... If you are a business owner in 2023 and you're listening to this and you are not making content, 
you are absolutely taking on more risk in your business than you need. Because if you're not making content, it means you're paying for all your leads. You're paying for everything that you do. <clears throat> There's a lot of risk associated with that. Yeah. If you can generate opportunities, opportunities look like leads. They look like private capital. It looks like relationships. It looks like business partnerships. I mean, there's tons of things that I'm probably not mentioning. Those are probably the main ones. Yeah. But you're leaving those on the table by not building a personal brand and sharing your story. Yeah. I mean, just on that point, I, I, I met with someone today who, if everything goes right, will fund any deal I'll ever do again, right? If everything goes right. Uh, so there's a few things I wanted to add here, right? So Ryan Jones, one of our whale, one of our first whale club members, presented last Thursday, and that. Uh, and he presented it to our, our free community, right? It's private. It's not public. We don't post it on YouTube. It's our private community. And Anne was saying it was such an awesome, awesome presentation, right? So for our free community, our whale clubs are sharing. We, what we're calling it our, our whale club keynotes, right? So there was that last Thursday. So definitely be in the community. Um, everyone in this, everyone's watching this, or probably 90% of you guys watching this, probably suffer to some degree, like myself, some shiny object syndrome. What Paul said is you get to have shiny object syndrome after you build a boring business. Build an anti-fragile, boring business, and then you get to have shiny object syndrome. That's the reward. And finally, next week, we're going to have Dan Nicholson back, right? He's going to be sharing some more wisdom for all of us. So make sure you're tuning in Friday next week, so you can hear Dan Nicholson share some more wisdom. Ooh, I'm glad you remembered to announce that because the goat, he's going to be here next week. Steve's going to be out. So it's just going to be me and Dan uh, chatting, and it's going to be fantastic. I'm also glad you mentioned the keynote because the title of next Thursday's keynote is The Most Boring Investment in the World with Pete Cavanaugh. There you go. Mr. Pete. So Pete's going to be going to be doing that and, and talking about how to create boring investments. We talked about boring businesses and uh, we want to start getting used to the idea of boring businesses and boring investments. We need a, a lot of those because we also want to pack the barbell with exciting businesses and exciting investments. But you need energy, effort and optionality to do that. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Green here. Right? Build a boring business. Never thought of that before. Valuable info. Thanks again. And uh, yeah, I am looking forward. And by the way, I would love to have. Mr. Pete Cavanaugh's boring business. Yeah. So for real. see you guys next week. Make sure you guys tune in. So we have Mr. Dan Nicholson here himself.